me in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let me say in the beginning, my message is not on election or predestination. That's the first thing most folks think when you mention Romans chapter 8. My message is concerning salvation. Uh, which without a doubt includes the election and predestination of God. I've said many times what most of you already know, God predestinated, predetermined, determined according to His own will and purpose beforehand, before He ever made heaven and earth, to elect a people and this election is unto salvation. It's election is not salvation, it's unto salvation. That's what Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said, But we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning, the beginning before the beginning, as Brother Darwin says. Chosen you too or unto salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now that phrase, through sanctification and belief of the truth in this verse means that uh, we're not saved by anything external. No outward reformation of life. No external obedience to the law. No outward submission to gospel ordinances. Those things will not save you. But by the inward working of the Holy Spirit within the soul of a chosen sinner. We did the sinning. God does the saving. And I'm so thankful. If salvation was dependent upon me, then I would be in constant fear of losing that salvation. But if salvation is of the Lord, I can have great confidence that He does for me everything that God requires of me. And as my dear pastor used to say, and everything's going to be all right. And it is. Everything's going to be all right. Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the subject. And He's the object of our faith. And He's the subject and object of our preaching. Our faith, our believing is not the cause of our election. It's the effect of our election. And the cause of our faith is God giving the dead sinner life. If God doesn't give you life, you'll never see it, you'll never hear it, and you'll never believe it. The preaching and believing of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the appointed means of saving those who believe. And that's why we preach the gospel. It pleased God for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us, those that God has given life, it's the power of God to us that are saved. It's, it's God's power. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by what the world calls the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Do you believe this morning? If you do, it's God's doing, not yours. 
We don't preach election and predestination. We preach Jesus Christ, whom God elected and predestinated to save chosen and predestinated sinners. <laughs> now in verse 33 of Romans chapter 8, Paul asked this question, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And immediately Paul answers his own question. He says, it's God that justified. Yes, sir. Who's going to charge any of the elect of God with sin when it's a thrice holy and just God that justifies the elect sin? The obvious answer is no one and nobody. Our text is found in the next verse, verse 34, and here Paul asks another question. Who is he that condemneth? Who's going to condemn an elect child of God? Who can condemn one who is trusting, relying, and resting in and on the Lord Jesus Christ? From the Scriptures, I, I hope to answer that question this morning. Who is he that condemneth? And I'm not big on titles as you know, but I did jot this down. Condemned? Not me. Condemned? Not me. I don't suppose there's anything more frustrating, irritating, discouraging, and even infuriating to me personally anyway, than to be accused of being guilty of something I didn't do. Does that bug you like it does me? <laughs> Most of the time, I'd say pretty well all the time, in some way I'm guilty of what I'm accused of. But if I didn't do it, I thought it, and if I haven't thought it, I more than likely will. But there have been certain specific isolated times that I've been accused of doing something that I was innocent of, and it was very upsetting to me. But there's no doubt here that Paul knew that in and of himself, he was worthy of condemnation. That's the first thing our Lord shows us. He shows us who and what we are and what we deserve. And that's what makes grace and mercy so beautiful because it's God not giving us what we deserve and giving us what we don't deserve. And in the previous chapter, Romans 7, Paul had confessed, I'm carnal, sold under sin. And then he declared, the sin which I hate, that I do. Do you, do you know something about that? <laughs> I'm never going to do that again. I see you cringing. <laughs> Carnal, sold under sin. I do it because of the sin that dwells in me, he said. For in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Not any good thing. Nothing at all. I will and want to do good, but how to perform the good I find not within me. And the evil that I wouldn't do is what I wind up doing. Again, Sound familiar? Oh, wretched man that I am. Yet, Paul knowing who and what he was by nature, by birth, and by practice, here in Romans 8, defends his innocence. Not the innocence of his heart. No. He, he knew he was guilty. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The thoughts and intents of the heart are only evil and only evil continually. But here he's talking about the perfect innocence that he possessed by the perfect mediation and substitution of Jesus Christ, the Savior. In myself, I'm doubtful and I'm distrustful and I'm insecure in all that I do. But not in what Christ has done for me. Not in the least. And in verse 34, the apostle here gives us four things from this single verse that should give the believing sinner great comfort, great assurance that they'll never, ever be condemned. Condemned? Not not me. No. In verse 1, Paul had already told the church at Rome that there is therefore now no condemnation. To who? To them who are in Christ Jesus. And now the apostle gives the elect sinner four reasons that nobody, no one, or nothing uh, can condemn them if they're trusting in Christ. Are you trusting in Christ? Then you can say, condemnation? Not me. Condemned? No, sir. You know, any single one of these four things in and of themselves are all sufficient. But when added together, there's just full assurance of the believer's redemption. I used to work in industrial sales and one time I had a customer want me to find him a some high-test industrial rope. And... Uh, and it's said that uh, that large diameter rope used in industrial applications, multi-stranded, for lifting extremely heavy things, that each strand is designed to bear the full weight of what it's rated. So when all the strands are intertwined and twisted together, there is extreme strength, safety, and security in that rope. And Paul here in Romans 8.34 challenges heaven and hell and the world itself with the question, who is he that condemneth? Who is going to condemn one of God's chosen people? You know, there's really only one who can condemn. You know, when a prisoner is tried in a court of law, the accused one need not fear anyone in the courtroom except the judge or the jury. And it doesn't matter what any bystander in the courtroom or any witness against the accused may think of them. No one but the judge or the 12 people in the jury box can give the verdict against or in their favor. So, whoever may pretend to condemn us, there is only one, the judge or the jury, who can do so. And what a comforting fact that our judge is our Savior. Can you imagine going into a, a, a courtroom and looking up and seeing the judge and it's one of your dear friends? Our ground for holy confidence <clears throat> is found in the wondrous fact that it's God that justified. It's God. 
Who's going to condemn me? It's God that justifies. By the works of the law, we could never be justified. <clears throat> the law only brings about the knowledge of sin. And it proves to us that our imagined righteousness, and if, if you think that you have some righteousness of your own, let me tell you, it's imagined. Because right. there's none righteous, no, not one. We don't have any righteousness. Our righteousness, self-righteousness, filthy rags, can never be the grounds of our confidence and assurance. And Paul makes no mention here of repentance as the ground of his confidence. It's not Paul's dependence on his own righteousness or a blameless life that he puts any hope or confidence or trust in. Paul does not declare his assurance on his self-denial or his work as a most devoted missionary, though that's what he was. What was Paul's hope of escaping eternal condemnation? What was it that, uh, that did? What was it that gave him hope, confidence, and assurance? Well, first... The first thing mentioned in verse 34 is this. It is Christ that died. It's Christ that died. It was the death of Jesus Christ that paid the full penalty of justice for all the sins of the believer and all the sins that he would ever commit. Past, present, and future. And... On the cross, the divine wrath of God. Now hear me on this. It was poured out upon our Lord and the full vengeance of a holy and just and angry God, I might add. He's angry with the wicked every day. Emptied every single particle of punishment on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord suffered the just for the unjust as we saw in the first hour that He might what? bring us to God. If we're going to be brought to God, He's going to have to bring us. A child of God may say, I've, I've been a blasphemer. I've shake, shaken my fist in the face of God. There's still confidence to be had. Christ died the death of a blasphemer and He died for blasphemers so that He might bring them to God. Isn't that good news? Yes, Paul himself helped to put followers of the Lord Jesus to death while His hands were red with the blood of the martyr Stephen. He held the coats of those that stoned Him. So you might ask, what does Christ's death have to do with my sins? Christ stood in my stead. Christ suffered in my place. Christ rendered full satisfaction to the law of God, and He bore the penalty of sin that I could never bear. And it's the same with you. We're all in the same boat. All in the same boat. And if the Lord Jesus bore the wrath and judgment of God on account of my sin, then God cannot condemn me. From whence this fear and unbelief hath not the Father put to grief His spotless Son for me? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me 
for that debt of sin which Lord was charged on thee? If thou hast my discharge procured and freely in my room endured the whole of wrath divine, payment God cannot twice demand. First step, my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. If Christ suffered as your substitute, where would God's honor and justice be if He should punish the sinner for whom Christ died? That can never be. The comfort in our text is that Christ, it's Christ that died. It's Christ that died. There's infinite, infinite merit in the atonement and sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ made to fulfill the very law that you and I offended. And all we like sheep have what? Gone astray. That's what sheep do. And we've turned everyone to His own way, not God's way. And the Lord hath laid on Him, our Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. All those that He came to save. Every single one of them. Not a one to be lost. Who can condemn the sinner for whom Christ died as substitute and Savior? Can you name one? Is there anyone? No. No. Jesus Christ died instead of me. Jesus Christ died instead of you. So the wages of sin, which is death, is paid in full. The second reason a believer has no reason to fear eternal condemnation is the fact that Christ is risen again. See that? Who is He that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather. (laughs) Yea, rather that is risen again. Now those words, the words, it is Christ that died, is no doubt a, a powerful, powerful argument for our salvation. Christ died in our room instead, as we've just said. But the words, yea, rather, add even more force to the certainty of our redemption. There's more consolation in Christ arising from the dead than Christ being nailed to the cross. You see, Christ by His death paid the full price of what we owed the Father. Yea, rather, the glorious fact that Christ rose from the dead is the proof that God accepted Christ's payment for our sin. In Christ's death on the cross, I see Him paying the sin debt of His people. But in His resurrection, in Him rising from the grave and uh, rising unto life, I see God the Father acknowledging and accepting His death in my room instead. God accepted His sacrifice. Yea, rather, Christ is risen. Is representative of His elect when He died, every believer died in Him. When our Lord was buried, we were buried in Him. But when God said to death, let my anointed go free, that is proof, my dear friends, that God was satisfied and that everyone for whom Christ died went free in Him. 
free from the law, happy condition. Jesus has bled and there is remission. That's my hope. That's my assurance of never being condemned. That's the proof. That's the proof. Because Christ was perfect, the grave couldn't hold Him. And since the believer is perfect in Christ, the grave can't hold us either. We often fear death, very very much so. But there's no reason to. We're going to... This, this body is going to be buried. But the corruptible is going to be made incorruptible. The, the, de- the grave can't hold us. And it won't. Not those who are in Christ. He lives and because He lives, I shall live also. He's delivered and I'm delivered too. Death has no more dominion over my Lord and death has no more dominion over me. His deliverance is mine and His freedom is mine also and is mine forever. I cannot and will not be condemned because it's Christ that died. The anointed of God died. Yea, rather, is risen again. If Christ be risen from the grave, how can the sinner who trusts in His work of righteousness, in His death, and in God's wrath, judgment, and condemnation in their place be condemned? It's called substitution. And there's nothing more beautiful because of who it is that substituted Himself in our place. God Himself did. If Christ had not risen from the dead, He would have proved to be an imposter. But He did arise. Mr. Spurgeon once said that Christ was the hostage for all His people and by paying their debt in full, God being just, let Him go free. And on the third day, He rose again according to the Scriptures. So I ask you, how could God ever condemn you after He's accepted Christ as your payment for sin? So we have to reason and we have to rejoice that we're innocent in the innocent One who died and rose from the grave for us. And then thirdly, the third thing we see from the next sentence is that our Lord and Savior who is even at the right hand of God. You know, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, he said, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You see, it's Christ's death. If Christ's death is just an argument for our salvation, His life is but a greater argument. Uh, Did you notice closely the words of the Apostle there in Romans 5? He said, For if we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, much more we shall be saved by His life. So comparing Scripture with Scripture, we can... Look at this third reason of fearing no condemnation as having much more validity. 
we cannot be condemned because Christ has died. Uh, yea, rather, risen is risen again. Much more is even at the right hand of God. Being at the right hand of God is much more powerful. It involves much more strength than even Christ's death for our salvation. Our Lord in Scripture is said to have sat down forever. You know, I love to think about that. He sat down forever at the right hand of God. He's in heaven right now sitting down. Our Lord could not sit if His work wasn't finished. He'd not be sitting down if His work was not accomplished, completed, and finished. In our studies of the tabernacle in the wilderness, we've discussed many times that there were no seats in the tabernacle. No seats were provided for the priests to sit on. There was a table for the showbread, and there was an altar for the sacrifice, and there were candlesticks in order to see, but there were no seats. Why? Because the priest could never sit down. The priest's work was never finished. Sacrifice after sacrifice. The blood put upon the altar time and time again could never put away sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice of Himself, put away sin forever. Our great high priest, He's taken the seat at the right hand of God majesty on high. And why is this? Because now the sacrifice is complete forever. And Christ our high priest has finished His service. Beloved, we can rest. We can rest assured that with our Savior sitting at the right hand of God, that our atonement is finished. Our salvation is complete. The work is over and our Lord has made an end of sin. It means that Christ in this honorable position of the accepted one has by the sacrifice of Himself put away sin. I can no longer be charged with sin. Why? I don't have any. I don't have any. The right hand of God is a place of majesty. The right hand of God is a place of favor. Do you remember when James and John, the sons of Zebedee, asked to sit one on Christ's right and the other on the left? Little did they know that they already had what they'd asked for. Oftentimes when we pray, we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins in Christ. He already has. In Christ, we already have what we've asked for. All the church of God is now at the right hand of the Father, raised up together and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The sitting at the right hand of God, this elevation, this acceptance, this glorifying of His people proves beyond a shadow of a doubt, that no one can condemn us. Condemned? Not me. Not me. Can you condemn a man who sits next to his father, the King of Kings? 
How can we be condemned? The right hand is a place of power. Who can destroy you if omnipotence is your helper? Now, if the shelter of the Almighty covers you, what sword can smite you? If the wings of the Eternal One protect you, what plague can attack you? If Christ is your all-prevailing King, who can condemn you? He has trodden your enemies beneath His feet. Sin, death, hell, grave, the grave, are now parts of His empire. Who can condemn you? Who can condemn you? Can the Almighty be overcome? All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. None can stay God's hand. None can say unto Him, what are you doing? Can the Almighty be overcome? Can the sovereign be succumbed? Can the omnipotent one fail? Every blood-bought child is safe and secure and they can never be condemned. Why? Because Christ died. Yea, rather, is risen again. And much more is even at the right hand of God. And then fourthly, it's Christ that died, yea, rather that's risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. You know, I love the passages of Scripture that outline themselves. <laughs> and it's so easy to, to preach these glorious things. Yea, rather... Much more. And then what is the third? Do you remember the verse in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that says, Wherefore He, Christ Jesus, is able to save them, speaking of His people, His chosen, to the uttermost. Oh, what a wonderful word that is. To the uttermost, those that come unto God by Him, seeing that He ever liveth to make intercession for them. To the uttermost. God would not come down to earth for payment. It must be brought to Him. Just like the high priest of old first took the blood, He didn't bring the mercy seat outside of the veil. No. He did not bring the mercy seat to the blood. The blood must be taken to the mercy seat. A just God will not stoop. It must be brought to Him. And the Lord Himself took His wounds, His torn body, His flowing blood, and He brought it up to His Father. And this is the proof that His people cannot be condemned because the blood is on the mercy seat. It's not poured out on the ground. It's on the mercy seat. It's on the throne. He who bled for you now sits on the throne. And it speaks in the very ears of God. Payment's been made. Ransom has been met. And the believing sinner cannot be condemned. I suppose the sweetest proof that the child of God cannot be condemned is found in the intercession of Christ. Christ pleads our case and He pleads our cause to His own Father. <laughs> you reckon He'll be heard? 
He prays, My Father, I will that they whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory, which Thou hast given Me. For Thou lovest Me before the foundation of the world. And Father, those that I plead and pray for are Your children, and You have loved them as You've loved Me. You know, it's hard to plead. It's, it's not hard to plead with a father for a brother. Because <laughs> they belong to Him too. Isn't that what our Lord told His own? He said, I go to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. That's being saved to the uttermost. Christ is able to save them, these chosen sinners that come unto God by Him because He ever lives to make intercession for them. Who shall lay anything to the believer's charge? It's God that justified. Who can condemn me? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather that's risen again. Who much more is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us, His people. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him, through Christ that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. That pretty well covers it all. No, it does cover it all. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Where is that love of God? It's in Christ Jesus. Who can condemn me? It's Christ that died. Who shall condemn me? It's Christ that rose again. Who shall condemn me? My Savior is at God's right hand. Who can, who shall, who will condemn me? My Lord, my Savior, my Mediator, God the Son, also makes intercession prayer for us. You know, our Lord's prayer is always effectual. His Father always hears Him. John eleven forty two, Always. Who can condemn them when Christ is their substitute, Savior, surety, and Savior? Again, no one, nobody, and nothing. Who shall condemn me? No one, nobody, and nothing. Oh, may God be pleased to make it so for His glory, His, our good, and for Christ's sake. And I, I, that, that is, that's why He does. For His own glory, for our 